You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, welcome to Utopia. Stephen Chicken joined, as I always am, by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Not bad at all. How are you? Good, thank you very much. Yeah, well, it's been a few days. You actually, before we came on this call, said, what game are we talking about here? You had to look up <laughs> the fact that Huddersfield Town had drawn one all away to Sheffield Wednesday. So memorable was the occasion. Yeah, in my defence, it, was, it wasn't the most memorable games, and I'm suffering from long COVID, which <laughs> a symptom of which is genuinely memory loss. So forgive me. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, it wasn't the best game in the world, was it? And Yeah, no. I mean... What what was your take on it overall? Um, I th- I thought it was quite a s- strange game, really. I thought it was quite a strange approach, which we'll get into a little bit. I think Town didn't really capitalise on the the good the well the better performances that had come before this, and the what I'd say was a good, very good away performance against QPR on Saturday. And here they just I don't know. I I think the way they were set up was to to try and sort of nullify and not concede primarily and I don't think I think I think they played Sheffield Wednesday on reputation rather than where they are right now and it felt like two points dropped to me because Sheffield Wednesday they're not good <laughs> they're not good <laughs> no they were worse than I expected them to be and and I kind of my overwhelming takeaway on the night was I I felt like they were worse than Corbran expected them to be as well I, I yeah I, definitely I, I agree with you that the way that he set them up was more like they were playing, you know, QPR, a good a good team who are good on the ball and who can, you know, who have players who can hurt you. Whereas I think if they had done what you <laughs> yourself said in the build up to the game and treated, you know, Wednesday as though they were second bottom and quite away at the time, a drift of of safety. And if they'd just gone for it, then it felt like they could have got something out of that game. And by the time they realised that and shifted things around and went a bit more attacking, Wednesday were one nil up and were able to dig in even deeper and just sort of try and protect their lead which made it even harder for town and I said before the game that I thought the win against QPR had earned them the right to go to Hillsborough and take a point and call it a decent result and yet even still after the game I was (laughs) annoyed that they'd only got a point because it did just feel like such a wasted opportunity because Wednesday just looked so beatable and town just didn't Mm. take advantage of that at all yeah and it was the problem was that it was the sort of paucity of attacking options. There was there was a big gap up to Fraser Campbell again, which is the thing that one of the things they've been working on is is getting somebody closer to Fraser Campbell, and instantly that just provides you with more of a threat. And for the first half an hour, forty minutes, Campbell was so isolated at times. There was it's another one of those performances where Campbell gets criticised but what is what is he supposed to do when he's got three central defenders to beat <laughs> you know yeah. it's it's it, it was a it was a it was a strange setup, and I think that 
I think it, that's one of those classic games where I would imagine if Corbin and his team could do it all again with hindsight, they'd do it completely differently. It's not one of those games I think you walk away from and you think, oh, well, you know, we we did what we had to do. I think you have to come away from that with a level of disappointment. And I think Corbin, reading between the lines, and I, I didn't ask this question directly because it was only what, sort of reflecting on it and the drive home that I was thinking about this, but he was sort of praising the players' efforts after the game and I thought that was a bit odd Um, and he said the first half was better than the second which I totally disagree with but I think where he was coming from was well the players did what we asked them to do Um, you know he picked that team and he picked Bakuna and Holmes on the wings so that they had players who were pressing high up the pitch that was what he said the idea was was press QPR but uh, press Wednesday but just as they had against QPR but because it was almost the team that finished the game against QPR bar Richard Stearman's late introduction but the thing is is that Town had I think it was 63% possession in the first half so it's not mm. like they had a lot of pressing to do they they needed players who were going to carve Wednesday open not players who were going to catch them uh, on the ball and you know I was sitting next to Dom House and our Sheffield Wednesday correspondent and we were saying you know this is this is crying out for Mbenza on the wing not you know Mbenza and Rowe on the wings not uh, Holmes and Bakuna and I think that that Corbran was almost saying you know they they did what we asked them to do they put in the effort they were trying as hard as they possibly could have done uh, in the first half but we set up wrong and he didn't quite say that but I almost feel like his praise for the players is almost an admission of that yeah I wouldn't disagree with that at all and I think anybody since Darren Moore's gone into Wednesday what he's tried to do is try to make them difficult to beat but it's very very difficult when you've got a team that are so um sort of mentally I think there's a few who are playing in league one already if I'm honest I I said before the game they feel like they've got an anchor around the neck that club at the moment Mm. and it still feels like that and the one thing they do is they've got their three at the back but they also get Bannon back in and amongst the out of possession it becomes a five so the one thing you don't want to do is isolate your striker the one thing you need is is bodies up there because otherwise it's it's just becomes very easy and that that it I wouldn't say it was I'm not going to say it was no surprise when Wednesday took the lead because Wednesday hadn't offered anything much either really but you could see a sort of pattern forming and the pattern forming was that town were were a bit toothless again um, as we've seen a few times this season and Wednesday just picked them off at an appropriate moment. But at no point, even at 1-0 down, at no point did I not think Town should get something from this. And when it went to one all, I even texted you and said, they, they really should win this from here, you know. Mm. Wednesday really weren't that good. And yeah, it, <laughs> it if you'd have said four points from QPR away and Wednesday away, you'd have absolutely said, yeah, we'll... we'll <laughs> We'll snap your hands off at that. But Huddersfield Town being Huddersfield Town this season, somehow it manages to feel disappointing. Yeah, I, I think if the results had been the other way round, probably no one's complaining. Yeah, um, I agree with that, yeah. Which yeah. is which is weird, because the QPR was the, the more winnable game. I don't know, maybe if maybe even if the games had just been played in the opposite order, then, then maybe it, mm. would, it would feel less like something. But yeah, it did feel more like they'd gone back to sort of the Derby and Preston type performance 
performances rather than, or actually it felt a lot like the Birmingham performance rather than what they'd put on against against Cardiff and QPR, where you know they they weren't they weren't out of the game and getting you know absolutely nowhere and just like destined to lose like they were against Derby and Preston, but they just I don't know they looked a bit tentative when I think they they actually didn't need to be because I don't think I don't think Wednesday carried anything like the threat they were expecting. I think you know Wednesday have obviously won at the weekend since then, but um, on the night they they just weren't a good team and. I feel a little bit for Corbran in that respect because <laughs> you probably shouldn't be setting up your team expecting your opposition to underperform because that is, you know, if they don't underperform, then you end up looking daft. But I think it sort of exposed some of the limitations that, that Town have, put it that way. Yeah, it did. And it, what, I, what I think was disappointing was that, obviously, the last three games, weird. There, there was a lot of, of sort of signs of promise and... and not green shoots of recovery because I don't think it was it was as bad in the first place. But I think there was a you could see a sort of a change in mentality and there's a lot to be said for becoming tough to beat when you need to just grind out a few results. But that wasn't a result that needed to be grinded out. You could have been a bit expansive there. You could have gone for that a little bit more. And that's that's where it just feels a bit disappointing. But at the same time, Town are still unbeaten in, what is it now, four? four. And they're going into a patch of games where there's a couple that... I mean, no game in the Championship is unwinnable, but Norwich is as close yeah. <laughs> as it gets at the moment with the way they are. I know they drew at the weekend, but let's be honest, they are a Premier League team playing in a, in the Championship. So they, they weirdly spent a whole season in the Premier League preparing to be a really good championship team, which I don't quite, I can't, I can't get my head around, but that's another discussion. Um, and Brentford are Brentford. Who knows what to expect from Brentford? They're either utterly brilliant or very Spursy, as you Spursy. pointed out. Yeah, they are the championship's Spursiest team. They're, they're weirdly. I think we're not the only ones that have commented on this, but that Brentford game almost feels more winnable than than the Rotherham game or the the Sheffield Mm. Wednesday game in some respects, because that's the kind of opponent that I know. And it's a weird thing to say when Brentford won comfortably 3-0 on their own turf earlier this season. But that is the kind of team that Town have actually enjoyed playing against on occasions over the last couple of years. Uh, And in fact, you know, they took four points off them last season. So... Yeah, but I mean, I think that the realistically the main hope for that Norwich game is uh, Norwich get a win on their their previous fixture, the, their their Good Friday fixture, and that basically puts them, you know, makes them all but promoted, and they're playing in their flip flops on the, on the Tuesday night because I don't think Town are going to get yeah. much out of that otherwise. Unfortunately, no, I I don't think they are. I don't think they are. I think you have to be. <laughs> You have to be a realist sometimes, don't you? That's the problem. I think they've just Town could have come into that game at least on a you know on a bit on still feeling the effects of the bounce of a win really. Whereas I feel like that has a little bit gone. You could see it full time as well. I mean, when the players were coming off, you could see they were disappointed. You could see they were frustrated and you just hope that that doesn't carry on. But they have an international break now and they have a little bit of a give give their legs a rest and get their heads right. And 
yeah, I think it's just one of those games you just have to sort of just quietly file away and move on. Nobody's going to remember that game in four years. Nobody. <laughs> I defy anybody to remember it. You barely remembered it after four days. So uh... yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so onwards and upwards, as they say. Yeah, the results at the weekend didn't exactly go town's way. I think we were sort of... I think I think it was interesting, and we were going into this international break, and it was like, oh, we're not going to have a full-scale fan revolt for the last for the full two weeks like we have the last few international breaks. That's a nice change. And then uh, I think people were sort of almost... were slightly disappointed, but were almost more joking after the, the Wednesday performance. Put it this way, I think if they'd had that performance, having not just beaten QPR, I think people would probably have been kicking off about that. I think if they'd sort of followed up the Wickham mm. game with that performance, I think people would have had a much dimmer view of it than they actually did on the night. And I think that's sort of that's good. I think that's reassuring and tells you a little bit about where where the fans are mentally at the moment, and they're in a better place than they would have been a few weeks ago. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean Wednesday, as I say, won at the weekend, and so did Rotherham, which I think is is more important. I, you sat here last week, Dave, and talked about how you think Town are basically all but safe anyway, and it doesn't matter. Do you do you stand by that? Uh, yes, I am. If I'm brutally honest, I know it's not it's not popular with with some Town fans who who are still sort of almost enjoying being a bit doom and gloom. But look, there's realities here. Town have got 42 points. They've got some very favourable fixtures before the end of the season. Certainly, their destiny is very, very much in their own hands when they've still got to play Coventry at home and Rotherham at home, two sides below them. I think everybody's looking at Rotherham's games in hand and thinking, oh dear, but Rotherham have got to play five games in three weeks, is it? Something and, along those lines, yeah. They're basically, and I, lot, I worked out after the international break, the longest they have between games is four days. Um, yeah. And, and that's when and, before they play town. <laughs> They've got a load of fixtures uh, against the teams around them, which, in a, in a weird way, you would actually rather play teams higher up the table because they've got some real dogged cup finals coming up against teams like Huddersfield Town who are going to be targeting the game against them as an opportunity for three points. I can't... I mean, I'll be honest, they haven't got a massive squad. They've not got a brilliant first eleven. They've done very well in some games this season. They are not about to embark on an automatic promotion level of form over their last 12 games to, to get out of there. I just don't think they are. They're going to be in the mix. Birmingham... They got their new manager bounce and then they lost <laughs> on Saturday. And I just I just don't think Birmingham are very good. Coventry, I think, will probably grind out just enough. But, you know, Town have to play them at home, so that's a very favourable fixture. And Derby are not looking good at all. You know, they've, they've drawn two of the last five, I think. They're, they're still really struggling to get into any sort of run, into any sort of form. And I honestly think... You know, I still think 45 points is is definite and Town have got a hell of a lot of opportunities to get there. Um, I just... You've got to understand that there's going to be a lot of games that cannibalise teams around them as well, which helps enormously because only one team can win and if they draw, then it's a benefit anyway. And yeah, it just feels... It feels like it's done to me. Even with the game in hand being against Bournemouth... Bournemouth are like an incredibly weird team. Incredibly weird team. They're a bit like Brentford, and I'm not saying I fancy Town in it, but 
I weirdly fancy town against a Bournemouth more than I do against a Coventry. Mm. So they've got it's all in their own hands. There's plenty of opportunities to get over the line, and I just I just can't see them. I think the difference for me is I just can't see town losing basically every single game oh, between man. now and here yeah. and the end of the season, which is what to to not only be caught but be overtaken by those below them is basically what needs to happen. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. And I said last week I agree that they're probably not going to go down at this stage. And um, I think sort of just the thing is though that and and I wrote this. My print version of the report was actually much more damning than the version ended up on the web. And even then, the pe- some people were saying, well, that they thought the the web version that went up was uh, a little bit miserable um, after the the Wednesday game, but. <sighs> I I just feel like they it would be nice to have gone into this international break not even to have spent this weekend not even looking at other teams results <laughs> basically mm. and not have not to have to worry about those results before the end of the season I think after the couple of years that town have had the last sort of you know 2 3 years just to be not in a relegation fight going into the last nine games of the season would have been a big boost and and would have allowed people to start looking forward not least of all Carlos Corbran and the players who I think would I don't know it could go one or two ways I suspect that once town are basically mathematically safe you could you could well see that they don't win another game after that because Mm. it's been such a massive effort for everyone this season not just town but every other every club that I feel like you always get towards the end of the season the teams that have nothing to play for their results inevitably suffer and I feel like this season that could happen more than most years because everyone's worked so hard they'll just take the opportunity to, to relax almost um yeah and the the other side to this is that i think if you look at, at town's fixtures and i know they've got some tough games coming up but overall they've got what one two three four five home games to come and in in home form alone town are actually 10th in the table in the home form league so you would expect a team in 10th out of five games to get to go at a point a game you know they've they've got 28 points from 18 home games so you would reasonably expect them Even to go with at the drop least off, a point yeah, a game yeah. so you you it, it i think it's done but i completely understand why people are nervous but i this this is why i sort of think town can start looking looking forward a bit more yeah i think I think maybe last year was probably playing on people's minds a little bit where you went into the the post-lockdown fixtures and you're looking at it and you're going, well, they've got to play Wigan and Luton and, you know, if they win one of them, then then they'll be safe and they'll be fine. And then they ended up losing both of those games. But yeah, I mean, we talked about this a lot last week, so we won't, we'll leave it there, I think. But yeah, I I can understand why people are, are nervous as well. Uh, but I agree with you. I think it's, we're probably only one win away. It's just a shame that this wasn't the win is, is the long and short of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they the other thing is they are, because of goal difference, they are as close to Rotherham in 22nd as they are as, a, I think, to Luton in 13th yeah. so they can start to look forward in my humble but well with, yeah. with the games I mean if they win that game in hand that they've got then they'd go they'd go two places further up the table you know they'd, they'd overtake mm. uh, they'd overtake Preston and, and Nottingham Forest so yeah we'll, we'll see how it goes um 
we've spoken about Carlos Corbrand there and we've we've sort of had our criticisms and our praise for him throughout the season. Um, but I think now is probably as good a time as any to sort of stop and reflect on how things have gone because I think we had a broadly very positive first half of the season and a broadly pretty negative second half of the season. Where do you think we stand on on Carlos Corbrand at the moment and the job that he's doing? How 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 do you assess the job he's done so far? Um it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because even when <laughs> I think even when times were good I we may as well tell the listeners I have a lot of reservations around Carlos Corbran. They're not I'm not at the point where I think he definitely needs to go or anything like that far from it, but I think you have to understand where he is in his coaching career and Huddersfield Town are his learning ground as much as anything else. This is the first time from week to week it's the first time he's been in any of these situations and I think you have to look at his journey. Um, I think a lot was made of the first part of the season and I uh, I would say to you I can just see the same problems <laughs> but everything's quicker and I think weirdly when results were not as good you could actually see the work going into the fundamental problems a bit more so I think there's more of an understanding there now I think he's he's working hard on all aspects really I think what we have to talk about though is the switch to becoming a bit more pragmatic when sort of push has finally come to shove in terms of the relegation shake-up and when town really were starting to plummet down the places and somebody tried to sort of frame that as a negative to me and I don't think it is I think I have long you know I've said on this podcast flexibility and adaptability are very admirable qualities in a manager and the fact that he has changed and town have managed to grind out a couple of results after that that sort of derby game and that Preston game where they just offered so little it was it was untrue I think is a universally good thing I just I'm not saying you have to write this season off but it's very, it's so difficult to judge because you've you've got a bloke who's learning as he goes here so you have to you have to pick out the you have to pick out the positives you have to pick out the negatives but the most important thing is you have to put everything into context really yeah i think it's worth saying this is maybe apart from last season <laughs> this is the weirdest season of football the championship has has ever had i think that's that's worth pointing out and yep <laughs> it's been so compressed the schedule i think that the injuries haven't helped there is potentially a criticism about and we've we've expressed this before i think we touched on it last week the lack of rotation over christmas i think can't have helped yep. surely um you end up putting square pegs in round holes because you've got injuries basically and i think there's been times where that is you know we wouldn't have seen the emergence of aaron Rowe without that happening so every cloud and all that but there's no doubting that that has hurt town in the second half of this season and and hurt them quite significantly but i think you and i would would both say that they were still plenty of games where they should have been better than they were regardless of the injuries i think the the millwall game is certain you know that the watford game for instance i am almost quite forgiving of that because i think they they almost tried to play for the nil nil knowing how good watford were they were just starting to make progress under the new manager and starting to turn into what we've seen out of them in the, the second half of this season and i think if it weren't for that scope mistake then you are talking about a nil nil and a perfectly good point um at vicarage road there but i think the the millwall performance stoke performance wickham 
Derby, Preston, I think you and I would, would sit here and say, well, they should have done better in those games, regardless of any mm. injuries or any other factors that, that were going on behind that. And I think the frustrating thing was actually for me that they didn't, <laughs> that Corbrand didn't adapt the style sooner than he did. I, you know, I, I, we both felt after the Derby game that he needed to change it, and we were both flummoxed after Preston that, that he hadn't. Um, and the result against Birmingham wasn't fantastic, but we were quite forgiving of that because it was, well, at least it's something different. I think on the whole, he's probably done about as well as we would have expected. To be fair, it's worth remembering again that we came into this season feeling like they are in a relegation battle straight away like they are the squad is is not fantastic it's not well set up um they are going to struggle in this division so for them to have been comfortably mid-table at christmas uh and for that to have been their platform for to stop them from sliding all the way into trouble over the second half of the season you know that deserves praise and that shouldn't be forgotten either um but yeah, I think on the whole, it's almost a almost a par, isn't it, for for Carlos Corbran? Yeah, I think that some of the headlines you you can't really ignore. So I I never really buy that an injury crisis is just down to bad luck, and I don't think you can ignore the fact that the heart was ripped out of this squad. But there must have been players whose injuries were they they were running in the red zone for for quite a way, and again. That's part of a learning experience. You would expect that to to be better next season. You ex- you would expect people to have have learned from that. And I think the for I, I've spoke about it before, but the the lowest point in the season for me was the Preston game. And it was people can look at the Wickham game and say, well, that was you know how how Wickham managed to get an away win there. But the Preston game was just so insipid. They just offered so little. It was just. It was just trying things that they knew didn't work, expecting them to work. So the the shift, as you say, we we've welcomed it. But I think it's just so so difficult to judge this season. I think it would be fair to say that you have to look at next season really as the where where you have to be a bit more critical and a bit more analytical um, with what's going forward. And it's a weird situation because so much of Huddersfield Town's season next year is going to rely on recruitment because they are going to lose people from this squad. They have got contracts that are running up, plus they need to create some finance. That is going to come through some player sales. Those players need to be replaced. They need to decide. There's one or two youth players. They need to decide what they're actually doing with. They've got the sort of Dehaney and Brown issues to sort out because now Rose on the scene. They could probably afford to lose one or the other, but they have to keep the other with them knowing they're going to be very much second choice to either Toffolo or Pippa. So there's a lot of. They've got a lot of problems to solve over the summer. And I think. As I said, I don't think you can just write a season off. I don't think that's fair on a on 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 a club's fans. But at the same time, I think this season you just have to accept as just been a a complete learning curve for Corbyn, and hopefully next season all these lessons he's learnt this season about being flexible, about being adaptable, about being a bit more proactive in games. That's the final thing I would like to see now, Steve. I'd like to see some. <sighs> You you can it's good having a system for a game and it's good training the players in a system through the week so they know what they're doing.
in. And it's good changing that system from week to week if you think that's what benefits you against the opposition. But what I'd like to see a bit more of, Steve, is if something's not working in a game, be a bit radical, be a bit more proactive, make make a, a sweeping change. Don't just sort of adjust the formation or just try and change a player's position. Sometimes it's worth, no, let's completely change the angle of the way we're attacking. Let's let's go from a four, you know, from a five to a, even a three in midfield. Let's even get a four up front. Let's have a two up front. Just that that's the next aspect. But I think part of that you only as a manager I think you only really get into that when you're you're sort of confident of your own abilities and you're confident of your squad's abilities and I don't think on either of those scores anyone at Huddersfield Town is 100% yet but that's where you want to be that's where you've got to get to next season I think I think it's probably fair to say there are players who I think he's lost faith in um, and and I think that Bournemouth game was was a big turning point where he put in half a dozen players We're t- I mean we talk about this all the time so I'm sorry for, for bringing up all, old stuff but I think that really was such a big turning point in the season putting those six players in and then to be let down so badly and it's worth saying not just by those six players there were regulars who played in that game who were I thought Lewis O'Brien and Naby Sarr Toffolo's worst game was a yeah, mile, yeah it? there yeah. were regulars who had bad games in in that game but even still I think that that was a bit of a turning point because then you saw him then pick the same team for five games in a row and some of the players who played in that game have struggled to get a look in since you know obviously Danny Ward's had this injury issue so I'm not sort of piling him in there, but for instance, Alex Pritchard has barely played since then. Jaden Brown we've seen mm. vanishingly little of, and then obviously he's then made that even worse by getting sent off so quickly against Derby. Um, regardless that regardless that Corbran said, you know, it was just one of those he took them for the team almost. He had to make those challenges. The fact is, we've he has preferred everyone else at full back at left back to Jaden Brown, yeah. uh, who is ostensibly yeah. the second choice left back, um, and he's. Including a right yeah, back. exactly, um, and a central midfielder, and yeah, etc. So, you know, and that's not to sort of get on at Jaden Brown at all. And I think we've seen other players who have stepped in and, and taken that chance. You know, Aaron Rowe, we've already mentioned uh, Ryan Schofield. I think nobody he, he had a bit of a a few games where people were questioning his place. I think he sort of put those to bed over the last few games uh, with some clean sheets and some better performances. And, you know, Romani Edmonds-Green is another player who you see him on in the first 11 and you're, you're happy enough that he's there. I, I think he's been um, present, is it five of their nine clean sheets this season, something like that. Romani's been in the starting 11. Um, so mm. there are players that have stepped up and taken that chance. There are others, not just young players, who have been given chances and not taken them. And I think... Um, I think that has not been helpful and that is not <laughs> really Corbrand's fault. I think it's it's evident he needs more depth. I think, to be fair though, the club knew this um, and you referred back to that conversation we, that I had with Phil Hodgkinson and, and Lee Bromby that the interview we did back in October and, you know, they knew then that the squad was, was sort of running thin in certain areas. That was almost the point because they wanted to give those opportunities to the young players and some of them have taken it, some of them haven't, as we say. But I, there's yeah. also been a big sense this season that they're basically that the long and short of it is they need to needed to get players off the wage bill so they could get more in because likes of of Ben Hamer, Alex Pritchard, Adama Diakabi, you know that they were taking up a lot of 
a lot of that wage budget and once they're gone it frees them up to sign multiple players in their place you know you you know even Mm. just those three that i've named you could sign four or five players maybe for the wages (laughs) they're on um but it's well this, this yeah this is it the like when you're assessing Corbran you have to assess the club don't you and if Huddersfield Town finished this season with Corbran with a year's experience behind him and clearly on a learning curve with Ryan Schofield now as first team goalkeeper as Romani Edmund Green very much a first team player with Aaron Rowe now in the first team squad and quite happy and settled there and I think you could probably even start properly looking at Scott High before the end of the season when they get safe so you could probably even end the season with one more very much in that first team squad mix I think that is where you have to say all right okay that's where the progress is but it's not if you're a Huddersfield Town fan that's not as tangible as being in 10th place having had a good season is it that's that's the problem yeah I think that's exactly right and yeah I mean there's there's definite that was kind of a bit of a dour um reading of things that I think we put on it there I think there are other the positives that that you could pick out i think the the style they started playing with and the results they were getting in particular towards you know the end of that first half of the season was was really positive you know there was a spell there between sort of the end of november and the end of december where they picked up 16 points from nine games so you know put that over a whole season that is promotion form um and that is a slightly ridiculous thing to do because you know you could probably pick out nine games from any club in this division bar the bottom three and come up with a similar calculation um but that is you know that is just before the injury crisis hit or sort of the midst of that that injury crisis really setting in and i think they will feel like well you know if we hadn't had those injuries we'll we'd have had 10 more points and you know if you got 10 more points then you're only a few signings away from um from from a challenge next year and i think that is probably slightly over optimistic or quite over optimistic i think the the difficulty for the fans is that you you're now going into maybe a third straight season where you're saying 12th next year or 10th next year would be a really good season um i think the fans had hoped that we we might be a little bit past that by now um and you're probably looking at next season mid-table being a good finish but yeah it is what it is to be honest and I think that as you say next season is such an unknown because so much of it is dependent on on the recruitment we have no idea what that first 11 looks like on the first day of next season that's literally from I think Schofield's in goal (laughs) I think Sars playing I think Edwards Green's involved and obviously you've got Johnny Hogg but almost everything else is an unknown over the summer because the flip side of this is Steve that there are there are players that town will want to keep that they may may well get offers for that they can't turn down so it, it is just such an unknown and it's I feel like you almost can't answer the question on Corbran this season and going into next season there's a chunk of his job that is out of his hands it's such a strange <laughs> it's a strange situation isn't it it's uh it's an odd thing it is yeah i mean there's 
there's a few other things that we should talk about. Um, the ATT, Altogether Town, had their most recent meeting a few weeks ago, and this isn't a new thing. They've they've been doing these meetings quarterly for years now. Um, it's for those who are unfamiliar. It's a panel between fan groups and fans and the club. So every three months they get together, they speak to to representatives from the club, and that includes chief exec um, Mark Devlin, includes Dave Thrawnford Sykes, it includes uh, Robin Kennedale and the the supporter liaison team um and i think that we always sort of look at the the minutes but i think the minutes from a few weeks ago and it's worth saying this meeting came before they had that that win against qpr but it made for interesting reading didn't it dave yeah it did i i think obviously a lot of the a lot of the chat online has been about the the sort of first part of the minutes where questions were put to the club about what's what's happening going forward and long-term goals and what's happening on the pitch and I I don't think anybody was particularly satisfied by a lot of the answers um but I thought it was quite interesting when Mark Devlin was sort of laying out that they want to get their timeline has now shifted to a sort of three to five year one um is i've said it i've said this exact thing on the podcast before but good football governance isn't sexy and it's not you can't expect fans just to go oh well we might be good in three to five years so just take everything on the chin now football doesn't work like that what was your take on them? I think there was a lot of stuff that we sort of already knew. Um, I think the stuff about the club communications and the fan engagement we've we've talked about a lot. I think there's a certain irony in taking the uh, the the criticism that the club don't communicate with fans to a meeting held directly between the club and its fans. Um, but yeah, they they have acknowledged that there is that sort of um, that feeling of disconnect between the fans and the club and that a lot of people feel that um i think the the long short medium long-term strategy thing and you and i have talked about this before but again i feel like there's a, a sort of a breakdown in terminology in in that because every club has sort of a, a, a vision st- or every company i should say has sort of a vision statement and a mission statement that says this is the kind of company we want to be this is our stated aim and that underpins everything we do and i think that the top 30 club thing was probably devised as that you know as as the vision for the club this is where we want to be this is what should inform every decision we make is we want to be a top 30 club i think some people might have seen that and taken that as we expect to be in the top 10 in the championship every year or we failed i, d- I don't think that was the idea behind it but as you say i can understand why some people if you came away with that perception would now be disappointed that they've clarified that they do mean within the next three to five years it's a bit of a thorny area this because you never like to tell fans how they should feel about things and I think fans are entitled to sort of feel as ambitious and as uh, to ask to uh, ambitious as they like and to ask questions of the club when they feel those ambitions are not being met but I think there is a, a reality that probably this is where town are now in the table is probably about their place naturally if you sort of um in a bigger picture sense and that for them to get above where they are now they need to be extremely well run and they need everything to sort of fall into place um sort of as well as it possibly can and i don't think it's 
again, I don't think it's unreasonable to for fans to expect their club to be well run, but I think it really does need a lot of things to fall into place and for things to be such a well-oiled machine for, for that top 10 in the championship thing or in the Premier League to, to come true, that top 30 club thing to come true. Um, I think does require them to be overperforming their natural natural place in the order yeah. of things, unfortunately. And I know some people don't want to hear that, but I think that there is an element of that. Um, I thought it was interesting as well that Devlin said, acknowledged that he feels the club have overpromised on things. Um, I feel like that admission um, was quite significant. Um, I think that that is the kind of thing that the club have sort of said privately behind closed doors. I'm not sure if they've <coughs> gone on record and acknowledged that massively before. I know that Phil has said that he wouldn't say certain things that he'd said if he'd known the pandemic was coming. But yeah, I think that that felt significant to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I That was one of the big things I took from it. I I think the, the, the one thing we... <sighs> I'm gonna I'm gonna both criticize the club for something here, but then I'm gonna defend the club for something. I think the thing they the club needs to be careful of is that running the football club well and being financially responsible is not something they want to go down the line of making a massive deal of because that should be a minimum requirement. That should be a basic expectation that your football club is run well and that people who are employed there are good at their jobs. So I think they need to be slightly careful with with that side of things and saying that's where we want to be because that's where everybody should be. But I think what I will defend the club on is they there was a couple of questions which were sort of linked towards communication. And I think as as a as a fandom again I'm like you I'm I'm not in the business of telling anybody how to think or what they what they should do but I think Phil's doing his monthly updates I think stuff is coming out of the club fairly regular now. Or just to just to I clarify something there, a re- uh, monthly update from the club. It's not necessarily always going to be from Phil. Yeah, yeah, from from the club. Yeah, um, I think you have to. I think town fans have been slightly spoilt in the past with the way Dean Hoyle did things, which is forever doing Q and As and chats down at the canal side and being very open and honest that's not the way a lot of football clubs are run they're they're Huddersfield Town even when people have been criticizing them for communication being at its worst are far better than a lot of clubs but their their fan bases are sort of trained to just expect that to to not get anything because that's just that's just how it runs and I think I think the club, what they're doing communication-wise is absolutely fine now. And I think that when when things are better, when there isn't a worldwide pandemic on, I think they can probably look at doing a couple of Q&As with key figures in the clubs and various other things that need to be at times when they know they can be Q&As rather than turning into slanging matches because that does absolutely no help for anyone. Um, but... I, I think town fans, it's it's so difficult to be patient when you've gone into the Premier League and it feels like it was of absolutely no benefit whatsoever. And then you've had 
a season flirting with relegation all season in the championship and then you've had another season where the progress isn't tangible it's not points on the board it's not places in the table but the only thing town fans can do at the moment is be patient and it's as i said it's it's not easy it's it's tough i completely understand the frustrations there but a lot of the issues that the club are trying to sort it's clear are not things that can just be sorted overnight or you can't just remove someone from one role put somebody else in there and suddenly everything is better so they're trying to sort out some of the sort of long-term fundamental problems and the pandemic hasn't helped and it's just a case of that there's an awful lot of sit and wait about it all and I think if if the things that are being promised at the moment bear in mind the club has said they've over promised and now they've scaled that back if the things that they say are going to happen now don't happen, then they are massively legitimate areas for criticism. But I think you just have to give them the time now to do the things that they've said they're going to do and see how the summer plays out recruitment-wise and, and see where we are on the first day of next season. I thought I know a lot of fans will have listened to the Dean Hoyle interview that he did. He was he was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, and a, a podcast called Looks Good on Looks Good on Paper, I believe it was called. If you want to check that out, I think probably you can. A lot of you will know a lot of the stories and sort of until the last sort of twenty five minutes of of the podcast. If you want to sort of get into the meat of it. Um, I thought it was interesting that Dean Hoyle came out and said that basically he left Phil a load of mess to clear up um, and that part of the reason he wanted to sell was he just didn't have the heart to, he knew that basically there was going to be a load of um, problems coming down the tracks and because of his health problems at the time, Dean's health problems at the time, he, he realised he just didn't have the heart to deal with it or the, the, the phys- physical capacity, the capability of, of dealing with it and wanted to get rid for that reason and I think, I don't think that's a secret, I think you you and I were saying that two years ago um, that, that Phil had inherited a lot of mess to, mm. to clean up and I think that is, you know, borne out by the number of changes they've had to make at the club since then and I don't think they've got everything right by any means but I think that things possibly I think that maybe now it's only now that a lot of fans are really starting to understand just how big a lot of those problems were that that the current regime inherited and that's again not to get them off the hook for everything because I think they have made mistakes I think their recruitment in the that that first summer in particular I think you look back at that and think what a, a wasted opportunity that was um just although you know they've still got Josh Caroma out of it so I suppose it's not a complete bust but yeah I mean it really was a, a massive job that, that that they've taken on and I don't think it's a huge surprise that it's taken so long to sort out. No, um, I don't think it is. But I think it's also important from the fans' point of view to completely understand that people within the club, there have been errors made. They have, they have There are things they have done wrong, not just over-promising. We know there are things that have done wrong because some roles we've already have replacements for the replacements. So it it's... I thought the thing about that interview, it it sort of completely backs up what I was just saying, really, in that you get an interview with Dean Hoyle, he gives an hour and ten minutes, and he just says so much in that hour, covers so much ground, players they didn't sign, things that happened, the takeover, the job Phil's got going forward, what he wants to do next year, some of the social media abuse, his illness... And that's what Dean was really, really good at. But that's not necessarily the norm at every football club. And 
I think that town fans have sort of got to understand that the this this regime is different. It's different by design. They're going to do things differently, and there will be areas to legitimately criticise them for. But I still think that as much as there are areas to criticise, you also at the moment just have to have a little bit of patience with certain areas because there were problems at the club and then there was a worldwide pandemic and then one of the main revenue streams for all football clubs was turned off for over a year. And people think that no fans in the ground just means clubs are losing out on ticket money, but they're not. They're losing out on merchandise, they're losing out on commercial revenue, they're losing out on sponsorship money because it just simply isn't worth as much as it was before. They're missing out on the corporate money of people in boxes and all the hospitality, etc., it it's it's a difficult time and it as i said but i have no problem with any huddersfield town fan not wanting to be patient because that is the nature of fandom and i completely understand it i've i've been there been there a few times myself shall we say but yeah i thought it was a good interview i thought it was a good interview and i thought it was it it was interesting that he went into the sort of deal and the takeover and told us one or two things that me and you felt confident enough that we knew anyway but it was nice to have them confirmed wasn't it yeah it was i think that you're right i think broadly speaking you just want to have hope and you want to have a sense of of forward momentum you know that is the whole point of football you and i've have, yeah you and i have been talking over the weekend about newcastle united for instance and you know the fact that dan story's written a piece where for football 365 where he's saying you know brighton your team dave are, <laughs> are looking at the future and do you feel like things are moving in the right direction and their league position is not reflective of the progress they're making um whereas newcastle <laughs> you feel like are the opposite and it's where hope goes to die. And you, you never want to feel like your position is hopeless and you don't have that forward momentum. And I think that is especially true at the moment because we're all, we all feel like we are standing still in life at the moment. You know, we're, we're not able to go out. There's not loads of jobs, you know, if you're unhappy in your career. There's not loads of jobs on job sites where you can go and, you know, get yourself a promotion or a move to somewhere else. You know, quite the opposite, unfortunately. You know, everyone's sort of stuck at home. No one is, you know... <laughs> no one feels like they have that that sense of direction and motivation and i think that has only made it even more important that things like football provide that for you in life and i think mm. you're just desperate to feel like your team are moving forward and that things are going to get better from here i think probably mm. at christmas everyone had that feeling about huddersfield town and despite some sort of lingering misgivings i think everyone you know the reaction to corbrand's new contract on christmas eve was overwhelmingly positive and you and i sat here and said he's done exactly the job that he was brought in to do he's got more out of this squad and he's you know over exceeding he's overperforming uh, and exceeding expectations i think we've now in the second half of the season and there's factors behind this sort of as we've just had that conversation probably doing on the on balance about as well as you would have expected maybe not a lot more um and I think you, not all of that is his fault, as we've discussed, not to go through that whole conversation again, but you just want to feel like things are, are moving forward and things are going to get better. And mm. I think they have an opportunity before the end of the season to do that. But I also kind of think with my rational hat on, as I say, as soon as they do get mathematically safe, I wouldn't blame them at all if they did just 
play every game like it was a friendly because it's been such a grueling season. Um, yeah, but that the thing the thing I want for Huddersfield Town going forward is that it is that building of a momentum and you. Like to use Brighton as an example, it took a long time to get the pieces in place to have a go. So we had a crap season, then we had a bit of a better season, and then we had a playoff season, then we had losing to Middlesbrough on the last day, which knocked us back into the playoffs. And I mean, I think we finished the game against Sheffield Wednesday with, I think it was nine men, was it nine or eight men, and about a million injuries because everybody had just given everything. And then the season after was constructed so that we could we could basically go up the squad was better and various other things were in place but also off the pitch for example we'd bought in Paul Berber Barber as our commercial director and some of the things he bought in people were absolutely up in arms about they they really were from removing the cheerleaders which believe it or not was a huge issue for a lot of people to putting prices up and various other things but it was all trying to put the infrastructure in place to become a premier league team and it it just it takes time and it takes a few tough decisions and and I, I hope Town are on that path, but it's it's it yeah, it's not easy and that forward momentum is the one thing that you wanna feel. You wanna before the start of the season, the one thing me and you said was progress this year would be a completely drama free cruise into mid table, stay there, not flirting with relegation come February, March time just see the season out and then build on top of that for the season after and I don't think me and you can hand on heart sitter and say that's been achieved because it hasn't but at the same time I think there are a there is a platform to build from from here and I think there are lessons being learned in almost every area of the club and I think if you choose to you can see where they can make progress but also you have to be you have to say they have made mistakes along the way but nobody is perfect I think so much of it just comes down to the recruitment team and whether you have any trust in that recruitment mm. team doesn't it because you know they've, they've had Carl and Grant they've had um, Carol Lighting they've had Pippa they've had um, uh, the one I mentioned uh, Josh Garoma they have had those successes but they've also had Reese Brown for instance you know um, mm. so and you know you, you could you could add to that list you know they've had Alex Pritchard we Adama Diakabi we <laughs> Yeah, it just it starts to feel cruel after a while. But yeah, you're 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 exactly right. They've got to get for that forward next season. It's all well and good sort of putting these building blocks in place. But even like I say, we had sort of crap season. Then we had better mid-table, upper-table season, and that's where the progress needs to be next year. It's got to be tangible. It you've got to be able to point to it, haven't you? And say, well, look, more goals, more points, more wins. There you go. So. Yeah, it 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 is it is difficult recruiting over this summer, but they've got to mm. get it right. There there can be no excuses if they don't, and if they don't, then people have to be culpable for that as well. I think, yeah. Steve. The other thing, just quickly, is just that 
I think a lot of the time in football, things feel very not quite until suddenly they are they are just working brilliantly. And like, you know, you mentioned that with, with Brighton, you know, they had years where they seemed to be sort of going up and down, up and down, and then suddenly everything clicks and, and up the league they go. And Town obviously had exactly the same thing. You know, they know that better than anyone else. I think there's the best case scenario is, that, and I don't think they're going to go and run away with the league next year, but I think the best case scenario is this is their year one under Daniel Farker kind of thing which I think is a, yeah. an analogy we've used before where they had a Norwich had a completely underwhelming season in that first year um, and then suddenly they went over the summer and everything clicked and they've not looked back since so that is the best case scenario um, if you want to, but as I say I think so much it just comes down to whether you have trust in, in the recruitment team and I think you know I don't think every, you know there have been ones I think part of the issue they've got as well is they've signed so many young players who it's hard to say whether they're whether they've been any good or not do you know what I mean like mm. like yeah agree. A, a year ago we would have said well Josh Garoma he's unproven now we're saying what a great signing he was and I feel like we're in a similar position now with Sorba Thomas and Danny Grant and you know even to a lesser extent Dwayne Holmes who has not played in his proper position since he resigned um so yeah who knows yeah well but I, I i think that it's important for us to say steve that to anybody listening to this who disagrees with everything we've just said we'll fight you in a pub car park is ru- <laughs> and th- no but i think everything is rubbish i think it's important to say that that's absolutely fine football fandom isn't about rationality and everything being black and white and my viewpoint being exactly the same as yours and everybody else's but i think what we're trying to do is just look at it rationally and say there are two columns here there is there is a good as well as the bad yeah i don't think either of us expected to be over an hour on the record at this point i think we came into this thinking what the hell are we going to say this week so i could i, I couldn't <laughs> remember their last game so no <laughs> good work well done everyone pat ourselves on the back um, um, no, fantastic. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. And thank you, Dave, um, for giving up your time as usual. Uh, this seems like a great time for you to plug your England podcast. Yes, the Styles Council, which I do with a friend of mine called Chris Nee. Uh, we will obviously be covering some of the England games. Uh, it's not a weekly podcast. We do it around England squads and England games because we found out quite quickly there's not a lot to talk about between there. So if you are going to be an England podcast, quick tip for you um but yeah so if you it, it's if you go on sphinxfootball.com uh, it's on that website but it's the styles council if you look where you get your podcasts from and that's styles with an i as in nobby styles yes yeah and uh, and your book as well that's out this summer on an england theme god this is just this is just obscene the amount of plugging i'm doing <laughs> uh yes silver linings book I've written about Bobby Robson's eight years in charge of the England squad some of the very early adopters via Waterstones got copies last week bizarrely but it's not actually out till June but I, I if that is you I hope you enjoy it um, so yeah it's it's uh, complimentary copies are out with various people now the real world is actually reading it which is incredibly scary for me but yeah you can get it from all the all the usual places just trying to think if I've got anything else to plug Steve <laughs> Uh, well I don't know I'm not letting you anyway I'm cutting you off now examinalive.co.uk for all of your uh, Huddersfield town needs and uh, we will see you next time thanks for joining us goodbye
Oh, I'm an excellent cook. I make really good brownies as well. That's my final thing to plug. If you get a chance, have one of my brownies. See you later.